Hello and welcome to this very special live episode of Leadership of Fools. We're coming to you straight from the, the, the nicest segment of the Entertainment Cube here at the Melbourne Exhibition Centre, MKEC. Uh, and I'm joined by a panel of, uh, of leaders and experts. Uh, I'm the fool, so I've got that covered. You guys don't have to worry about the fool part. Um, to my left, we've got Alice Sidhu. Am I the leader or the expert I'm after that? I'm not sure. You're a little bit of both. You know, you cover a lot of bases. That's what I've always liked about oh, you, Alice. Oh, I should have given yeah. no, that that's, option. That's as all well. me. Glad to hear it. Uh, thanks for coming along. And we've got Todd Lichty. Did I get your name right? You did get the name right. Because that's my number one KPI that I'm trying to hit today. Uh, people have known me for years and they'll get the name right. So well done. <laughs> and right in the middle here, we've got Kate Tenby. Good to be back. Now, should I give a little, I should give you a little context. You're a, a basketball superstar. I don't use that term lightly, but I'm using it now. Am I correct? You don't, uh, have, to, you don't have to big up yourself. But days gone by, yeah, yeah, 30 years ago maybe. You've I was drafted 15th in the 89 draft, NBA draft. So if that's classified as superstardom, then I'll take it. I we'll believe it, it is. Yeah, we'll absolutely. It. Kate Tenby, uh, you've got a, a resume as long as... Um, Think of like a Christmas list of Santa, but it's longer than that. Uh, you've been on Australian Survivor back in the day, um, and you're, you've moved on. That's in the past. And now you're, now you're here at Unkek. In a circular room. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll get used to it. But it's all, thanks for having me. Oh, it's always a pleasure. And on the end, another basketballing megastar. That's right. I'm going megastar. It's Chris Carroll. Rick, thank you. It feels a little bit uh, Johnny Farnham in the round. You know that, you know you come up and talk and you feel like you've got to rotate and turn to everyone? It kind of feels like that. I feel like you might be ready to burst into song there after well, that Well, I comment. didn't want to. I've probably given the surprise away a bit early, everyone. So <laughs> just give me your requests. He uh, did retire Backstreet last Boys. year, but he's back. Backstreet Boys is a uh, sweet spot of mine, so yeah. And we are going to have just a, a brief, uh, informal, yet uh, insightful conversation about leadership today. So we're going to tackle some leadership issues, uh, drawing on your insights, your wisdom, your knowledge, uh, maybe force you to shoot some hoops at some stage, just for my own entertainment, uh, especially you, Kate. I want to see you go, go from downtown. Um, Alice, you got a question for these uh, superstars. I do. Um, given where we are and the focus of... At Mkek. I'm not even going to try and It's my new it favourite word. Um, but we're here um, with MYOB at the mm. Partner Connect Myob um, at Mkek. <laughs> I'm going to leave you try and make those sounds. Um, <laughs> we're really here to talk about success. Uh, and we've got a pretty, as you said, uh, Rick, all-star panel. So I'm kind of feeling, yeah. um, one, a bit short. <laughs> 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 but two, also, you know, a little bit of a degree of um, edging superstardom here. Yeah. So let's talk about success. Um, and see where the conversation takes us. So I might start with uh, with you, Chris. I'm not sure if that's an entryway into uh, you um, broaching out into song, but success, um, it's personal. So what does success actually mean and look like to you? Well, I think you touched on it. Success success is a funny word because it, it's such, it's displayed very explicitly and people make assessment of success based on often what they see and what material uh, things uh, that hang off an individual, whereas you know, I think a, a deeper thought about success is is often about uh, the internal uh, definition of things that what I might do uh, broader than material that represent progress. So uh, success is, I think, obviously determined individually, but but the trap with success is having it, you know, under one single dimension. And a lot of people, and success is very obvious, 
and obviously failure is also obvious. But you know, what I'd like to get to in this conversation is sort of like a, a repointing of people's understanding of what success is more into the drivers or the things upstream to outcomes of where is you know success lives in a range of places. We just don't often call those out or recognise them as often as we do the you know the big showy stuff. It's easy to get caught up in the things that are, as you said, obvious. Um, Kate, from your perspective, you've had a pretty diverse career, lots of different experience. Um, probably not, uh, we didn't use super or mega in front of what you've done, but that doesn't diminish it, which is, you know, to Chris's point, in fact, it's just different. Um, does that change your perspective of what success looks like or means to you? I actually think the interesting thing about success is when you are younger, it feels like it's achieving the outcome, it's shooting the goal or whatever that outcome is, and often it is publicly recognised. But I think over time, your definition of success is deeper, and it's, it's really, to Chris's comment, that it's how do you feel within yourself, and in fact the outcome, and it may not be, it may look successful on the outside, but actually what is it that you've achieved internally? Um, from that, if you have achieved great success professionally or personally how you have defined it, not how the external market has defined it, you will be a stronger and happier person. Um, Just got to start gauging your internal success metrics, don't you? That's, uh, that's what we're all trying to do. Oh, I've thought of the phrase for you now. You're a corporate colossus. There you go. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Colossus. I like that. Corporate colossus. I knew you were thinking about something yeah. and not success. Yeah, I haven't listened to a word you've said. I've been thinking... <laughs> What's the right phrase for I, Kate Tenby? I like the um, alliteration there too. It's Corporate Colossus Kate. Yeah. One of my favourite things. <laughs> so it's taking that time to break it down uh, and for and that personal reflection about what it means. And it's, and it's different for a lot of people. So Todd, um, your career um, has been very public in terms of the NBA component of it at least. Has that... Um, has your view of success changed from when you were when you were playing versus where you are now? And if so, how? Yeah, it certainly has. Um, I remember back my second or third year of university in the U.S. at, at Stanford in the Bay Area, and Kevin Johnson, who became a, a Hall of Fame NBA player, I think he's a Hall of Fame player by now, a very good player, played at Cal, and he was the seventh pick drafted sort of two years before me. And when I remember him signing, and he signed for $500,000 a year back in 87, and I said, that's my goal next. So I'm going to shoot for that, right? <laughs> and I, I think, and ironically, I was the 15th pick, and I got the same sort of money. So I signed a five-year contract, and it got me off to a nice start in life. Um, I guess the, the problem is you think it's going to last forever. And I think professional sport, especially when you're looking at sort of AFL level mm -hmm. now, which financially is probably worse, you know, the, the pay isn't as great as it was when I started in the NBA in 89 still. So I think the trap is that these players think they're living the dream, making in a lower level two or three hundred thousand dollars a year, which isn't bad at all. Half of it goes to taxes. They wake up one day, thirty or thirty-five years old, hmm. and spent their mates. So old. Well, their mates that have started in a real estate agency yeah. out of high school from the bottom are now running the place yeah. and killing it, and and they haven't thought about the next fifty years of their life. Got to get into the sport of real estate. That's yeah, where the uh, that's where the so money is. I think, unfortunately, media. Most people equate success with financial success, and it's much broader than that. The days I feel good about going home from work are the days I feel productive, and productive in the sense of getting out, meeting people, making a sales call, 
genuinely believing in the products I'm selling and, and genuinely believing that I'm helping people I'm selling to, even though we're making money doing it. And the days I don't feel so great is when I'm sitting in the office doing paperwork, which is progress, mm -hmm. but I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. So uh, unfortunately, I think there's a lot more to success than just financial success, but that's what everyone has to focus on. I know if I'm letting my son down, I don't feel very good about myself. There's a lot of conversation around um, uh, things like purpose and value, value creation and value delivery as individuals, um, things that drive us that you've just touched on, Todd. It seems all of you are talking about a perspective that is um, that success is more than financially driven, which we kind of all get to. So I'm just interested from any one of you, Kate. Maybe you can um, you can start next again. I'm um, picking up that point. At what you know, at what point in your career or life do you actually start making that transition away from the view that success is financial? And um, you know, is there a trigger or is it just an evolution? Uh, for me, and having a career that spanned both in Australia and then working in Toronto and then working in New York for many years and coming back, um, you are sort of focused on the next thing. So there isn't that time of, too much time of reflection because it's the next goal. I actually think it's having children for me as a woman because you have to make the choice to leave work. Uh, and then also all of a sudden that wheel that you're on, you're actually stepping right off it. So I think that was for me <clears throat> the grounding time to think actually, what values do I want to live by and what's important to me? And from that moment is when I started working not full-time, flexibly and really focused on the input and believing a bit like you were, you pointed out on the NBA where you, ever, where you were going to list, the outcome would come. But I had no model for that outcome because there was no other women around. Uh, but I just believed if I lived by my values, and that is actually my children and, and being there for them, as well as input from the work perspective, the outcome would come. So I think that for me, that was a transition. It's kind of switching from pursuing success to having to model success for someone else makes you evaluate what success means to you. Kids will do that to you every time. A shift of priorities as well in terms of things that are important. Did you have a similar epiphany? Yeah, it's interesting. I was moment? talking to my wife, Simone, this morning about this, and she made a, this point around the phases of accumulation followed by the consolidation. And the accumulation part is that is that, you know, either out of high school, into university or college and and trying to climb the corporate ladder or whatever field you've chosen. And it's and that's that's when you're really chasing the success. And you really look for those very obvious waypoints. What does my first car look like? Um, do I have enough deposit for a house? Where do we go on holidays? And we sort of have this success attribution in this accumulation phase. And then it's a, it's a bit like Kate is saying, you get to a stage in your career and your life where it's more about consolidation. And then is, I think it's, that's the point at which a deeper understanding of success starts to present itself. And so, and then you, you, you figure out that that was good then, but I'm now at a phase of life and career that says I probably just need to go a little bit deeper and back to purpose and values and family, um, raising kids, making sure that they have the success that you hope for. It's, a, it's just a reorientation and it's, it's a little bit to do with phase of life, phase of career. You have to deep dive for success. Instead of snorkeling in a shallow pool of success, you've got to go, 
Right shallow down to the bottom. A shallow pool in Mykonos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was going to say it depends where you're, um, yeah. where you're snorkeling. That's true. I've been um, snorkeling in all the wrong places. You have to. I think you need to get oh. to the Greek islands pronto. You guys with your secret <laughs> snorkeling spots. Always rubbing my face in it. Which actually leads me to a comment. Um, I'm going to throw this out and, it, you know, discuss. Um, do you have the luxury of um, reflecting on... I guess a higher perception or a more intense value around what success looks like when you've actually been successful in the accumulation phase. So is it something that you can do when you have, you know, at, at a baseline achieved sort of some foundational? Can you only reassess success once you've achieved a certain level of yeah. it? Does that allow when, you the yeah. freedom to reassess? I think Todd, go we, for it. which is why we're here, we, we, the success is different for everyone. And, um, Rupert Murdoch would look at me and think I'm probably not very successful. He said uh, that to me. He said that to me the other day. <laughs> and um, he said, "Todd Lichty, <laughs> don't even start." I, I, no, I won't even take his phone call. <laughs> um, so I think it's all relative for everyone. But I was asked, going back to my college days again, I was asked by a reporter. You know, I was a pretty good basketball player, obviously. And so after games, reporters covering our team would ask questions and said, "Well, what are you, what are your goals going forward?" And I simply said, "I want to be happy." And to me, that's what success is. Now that what makes everybody happy is different. Mm. So I found out that making a certain amount of money, as I already discussed, signing a five-year deal, it was, I don't know, three, three and a half million back in 89, quite a bit of money. But I found out pretty quickly that's not what made me happy. So did I, enjoy, on that? Did I enjoy having <laughs> that kind of money coming in to my bank account every month or yep. whatever? Yep. Absolutely. But it wasn't what delivered happiness to me. So... Um, I reached that goal and then quickly realized that there's got to be other things in your life. And I think I make less now doing what we're doing uh, as a wine distributor. Our business makes more than that. But um, but I find it more rewarding in the sense mm -hmm. that I'm actually challenged. The basketball thing was something, in a sense, I worked hard for, but I was born with. The wine distribution business that we bought almost 20 years ago mm -hmm. started from scratch, and it was really a personal challenge. Can we make this work? Have you at least worked some basketball puns into the wine, like the slam dunk Shiraz? <laughs> you know what, ironically, nobody cares that I played basketball when don't, you're trying to sell them a bottle. Don't you say that. All they all care about the is, are you going to be able to help my business? Yeah. 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 And at the end of the day, if we can't do that, we go out of business pretty quickly. Yeah. But if you can honestly say, I can, this is going to be a good product, you're going to get good feedback if you put this on your wine list. And if you can honestly say that, you feel pretty good about yourself. It seems like it takes a lot of courage to actually... Um, almost put a pause on that trajectory of financial success um, to either have children or change a career for both you, Chris and Todd. So what's your, you know, what, what are some of the things I think that help you, helped you actually make that decision and what are some of the investments, non-financial or even financial, that you have to make in yourself? We want stock to tips actually is basically that. what we're asking. Yeah. Any advice is yeah. really useful. Yeah, success for dummies <laughs> <laughs> in five steps. Just to pick up that, that point of how do you find the time, um, I do think often you have to pause and step off something. So I was with Goldman Sachs for 20 years and I left with nothing to follow um, and it seemed so easy to do that at the time but in hindsight and I'm still wondering what the you know how actually that's why I use the word courage yeah and and it was going into the next space of which you're not actually sure what it's about um, so having that time and then spending time really thinking about it actually writing this stuff down 
because typically once you reiterate it, once you start talking about it with people, there's something that clearly happens in your mind and you, and you work out, well, what does actually happiness mean? You, you, know, you need to break that down further. And the reason why you do it, not so you've got some amazing tombstone that sits there and says, okay, this is my legacy or whatever, my shining light. It actually really allows you to just focus on what it is um, and then you can focus on the, the inputs for that. And I actually haven't worked it out yet. I'm on that, that sort of two-year sort of transition, I think. It definitely um, sounds like you're advocating a dream journal, and I'm 100% on board. <laughs> yeah, you heard it, it here first. That's the number one takeaway from today. Start a dream journal, and uh, you'll, you'll see success roll in. Or an intention board. One or the other. One or the other. I think putting the time in your mind and, and the conversations. Because once you actually start thinking about that, you'll start talking about it with people. Mm. And it actually encourages people to come to you in the energy of that, rather than being defined by what you were. And I think your example is great. No one cares about that you play basketball, yeah. right? Yeah. It, not, when yes. not when I'm selling wine. Yeah. <laughs> when you're at the basketball match. So I, I think it's, it, it does help you replant yourself. Um, and, and ground yourself because in that next iteration you'll have a whole lot of more failures, right? And so yes. you have you won't have anything that you had in the past to support you. So you sort of need that as your foundation. It's a reinvention, it really, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, so I want to talk to Todd and Chris about it um, in a different way. So Todd, let's go to the wine. Let's go to the wine first. What yeah. do you think, Greg? Uh, wine raconteur <laughs> Todd Lichty who may or may not have played basketball in the past. We're not sure <laughs> We're and not no one sure. cares. But we all, I all know that there's no slam dunk Shiraz, so that's yeah, the main thing. Yet. So did you Don't have... Don't rule it out. <laughs> did you have a plan for leaving um, the basketball career behind and deliberately going with um, the wine business or did you did you stop and then take some time, as, as Kate talked about, and then arrived at that? I mean, really, the big decision for my wife and I was I did, after basketball, I did three years of commentary with Fox Sports for the Denver Nuggets, traveled the country and did the television color commentary. I think they call it special comments here. Ah, uh, hence the Rupert Murdoch comment. That uh, makes sense now. There's bad blood. There's bad blood. There's a real rift. Yeah, that's right. And um, we just made a decision back in 2000 when we got married, we were talking about starting a family, that Australia was a better place to raise a family. We really had nothing professionally to come to. We wanted to be in Melbourne. Long story short, we saw this wine business for sale, and uh, it, it's been tough. Mm. You know, it's been tough. We, there was one employee when we bought it, one full-time employee, and that was me. Um, so now we're up to about 10, and we're small to medium-sized, and um, we do very well for ourselves, and we're well-respected in the industry. But um, at some point, you know, and it's been a lot of long days, long hours, come home. Um, at some point, I think the question you need to ask yourself, or at least... I ask myself is how much is enough? You know, how big do I want to get? Um, I think wine is two and a half standard drinks is enough, I yeah. think, that's <laughs> by law. I'm if you're sure. going through <laughs> customs, it's a little bit <laughs> different. <laughs> One of the favorite sayings, I, I don't know where I saw this 10 or 20 years ago, um, and I quote it to my wife and son probably three or four times a year, is happiness isn't having what you want, but wanting what you have. And I think too often we focus on the things other people have or what we don't have or what we want, but when does that end? You know, I want this, I get that, and then there's something else I want. So when do we actually focus on what we have in the workplace, what our lives are, our family, and those sort of things? When do we emphasize that? I think people tend to emphasize what they don't have more than what they have. It's the whole idea of keeping up with the Joneses, yeah. isn't it? 
And sometimes Certainly. we and define success in that way as well. Which is quite prevalent in the US yeah. and you know, it, it happens everywhere. Everywhere, I think. So Chris, um, you're not into wine, but you're running a very successful business. Um, which you can pl you can both plug if you if you want to. No 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 I wouldn't um, do that. So I, do that I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you're actually doing something that's quite different from playing basketball. So did you have a view and and how has that view changed yeah, given what so you're doing now? Yeah. So my my time in the National Basketball League was a little bit different to the <laughs> National Basketball Association. So, and I think the obvious difference is Todd spoke about multi-million dollar. <laughs> multi-year contracts <laughs> I, had, I had a I, I, the similarity is that we both had a multi-year contract let's just say that <laughs> you both played a ball with a game no a game with a ball we both we both actually played for the same club when Todd I played uh, Perth Wildcats and when Todd left the NBA he came out and played so we actually played in the same club we didn't play together uh, back to your question I th did I think uh, when I was playing basketball that I would uh, my dream was to be the CEO of an audiology business? Probably not. Uh, you know, I think when I reflect on the thing that I'm most pleased about was whilst I was playing was continuing to study. And I think that made a difference for me and Todd kind of touched on it a bit earlier, is that when the money stops, not that obviously I had the money that was, <laughs> it was life defining. It feels like I'm talking a lot about the money. But I'm okay about it. He like, has been I throwing really the NBA river matter. of money in your face Money's this whole time. Money's not important. It really isn't, Chris. <laughs> say be honest and genuine, did we not? <laughs> no, I like it. Chris needs to be taken down yeah. a peg or two. Yes. He normally comes on the podcast and he's just talking about his NBL cash. Um, yeah, but been, now he's I've gone down a peg and I'm loving it. I've been found out a bit here. There's not plenty of that. NBA players that would look down on the amount of cash I made. Don't worry about that. <laughs> so always somebody bigger. Yeah, so I think I was always pleased that I... Uh, took the time to study. I was, I had some time at the AIS on scholarship there, and uh, not a lot of the guys on the team were studying as well as playing there at the AIS. And I continued to study through the Perth Wildcat years, and I always kind of had a sense that I had a sort of a business DNA, and and spent time in media and then health insurance, and now in audiology. Uh, it's been probably evolutionary for me, so. Uh, but I do think a lot of the things that I learned playing professional sports at that time, you know, still come up today. You know, the team ethos, uh, the uh, uh, rewarding the inputs, less so the outputs, etc. So I, so I had a, I think I look back now and I'm very, very pleased with the smooth transition out of sports into professional life. Um, but it took a little bit of planning. So what are some of the things that you thought about when you were doing that planning? Oh, it's a great question because at the planning I was in the mid-20s. Yeah. All he knew was that he didn't like wine and he went from there. He's yeah. like, anything outside the wine industry is open slather. Exactly, exactly. Tide um, had cornered that, you yeah, mean? <laughs> uh, I think, it, interesting for me, it was you had to, when you were leaving a sports career and starting out on a, on a sort of like a corporate life, you probably needed to reframe uh, your thinking about what success is. And you know, I remember my first jobs were as junior as any job could be. And you know, having played sport to a you know, semi-decent level and then having to sort of consolidate and step back a little bit and get on a new sort of stream, uh, I know some guys find that tough and they don't really want to 
uh, take steps backwards to ultimately go forward. So you've got to sort of swallow your pride a bit and, and sort of why, why shouldn't I start at the bottom kind of because it's where everyone starts. So I'm going to have to do that. And, you know, from that, a lot of things I learned in sport I've just sort of carried with me and, and, uh, and it's worked out all right so far. How big a, a, a factor is ego in, um, in, I guess, the, to the question around, you know, Which maybe one of us looks like we have the biggest? <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe yeah, they'll be I, the I best one to answer size, that. Size of contract and ego <laughs> sort of moved together, so it's probably tough. Because part of it is, you know, being able to uh, separate yourself, as, as you said earlier, Todd, from um, things that you have or what someone else has that you aspire to. So, Chris, obviously, <laughs> the NBA salaries aside, um, you talked about just a minute ago being able to say I'm going to do the job for the job's sake um, yep. so was that was that a difficult thing for you to do coming out of perhaps professional sport? Yeah with special professional sports is such an artificial environment and you know there's a lot of talk now about are we doing enough for people that are currently in professional sports who very quickly fall out of it because the drop away currently for, for people who are doing professional and semi-professional it's a big drop and so they're now going a little bit upstream that says, okay, what can people start doing now? So the transition, the transition, the biggest transition is a mental transition. Um, you know, I think it's actually recognition, and you touched on it, that it is an artificial world mm. and it lasts for five, ten years if you're lucky. Mm. If you recognize that early, you're ready to prepare for the rest of your life and you can integrate. Yeah. But it's a whole other podcast, really. Yeah. I, I could mm. go on and on about yeah. this topic because I, I think... We'll just I go take over another earlier. segment of the Entertainment Cube and we'll do the follow-up podcast. Absolutely. I think I mentioned earlier that I think professional sport can be a real trap. Yeah. And for some of the reasons you just touched on. Yeah. Uh, there aren't too many um, corporate people that end up with those types of salaries. Usually it's CEO level, Kate. Um, so is that was that a big thing for you, leaving... Um, I guess Goldman Sachs has a, a, you know, a really great reputation status as well sometimes it's not money but it's status so you know how big a reflection was that for you or a learning around redefining success there as a corporate colossus I I think I'd spent a lot of time prior to that at Goldman's defining who I was outside of Goldman's um, but it doesn't happen the organizations don't help you do that so you become everything about those large organisations or even small organisations. It's actually moving outside that and doing things outside so you can build up your not only skill base but your definition of who you are. Um, the only thread I was going to pick up, and I know you're going from elite sports into mainstream, I actually think there's a lot of consistent, a lot of similar issues around the transition of young people today. That's right. Um, you know, all of this definition around what success looks like is on the social media. Mm. Um, the idea that we have too many people being overeducated now and then the ability to try and get a job and be resilient enough to get a job it's exactly the same theme as you coming down as people trying to come up mm -hmm. and so I think more than ever there is this need to break down what success is and in fact maybe success is in fact the wrong word and whether it, it is I spend a lot of time helping helping young people transition into the workforce um, and you know 50 interviews is a very straightforward you know it's like a very common story mm. um, the resilience and knowing of self that you have to have to be able to withstand that doesn't, doesn't matter if you played MBA or if you're actually just graduating. Um, so I think it calls for it a lot and this idea around knowing your why 
and knowing your story, it just builds your resilience, which everyone actually needs to survive in the world that seems to be getting tougher. It does. And the idea, I guess, from all of you that your story can change over time, depending where you are in career and life. And that's okay as well because that's part of where we need to get to. I think we need to do a bit of a wrap up. We're running, we're rapidly running out of time. Uh, Any final takeaways from this amazing panel? Chris, love to hear them. Oh no, I I think the word success is bandied around too much. And Kate, you you touched on it. This redefinition, having it grounded in someone's purpose, and it's very difficult for someone, if we talk about someone in their early twenties, late teens, to understand their why. I don't think it's impossible but it's very difficult and I wonder whether uh, people are being challenged at the right stage of their life to discover that why and if they did, would their trajectory or resilience be different than what it otherwise might be? So, mm. A good lo- thought to leave that on. Kate? I think the reason to explore it is the importance of knowing uh, what you're capable of rather than what you're comfortable ah, in doing. Okay, bit of personal challenge there and being up for it. Todd? Uh, look, I, I think in a nutshell, um, a successful day to me is when, when you go home, do you feel good about yourself? Mm. And that's a successful day. If you string seven of those together, that's a successful week in a year. So um, I, I think you've got to feel good about what you do and what you've done during the day for mm. that to be a successful day. When I sit down at the end of a long day with a glass of slam dunk Shiraz, I always feel pretty good about myself. <laughs> You're not going to let that one go, are you? <laughs> it's a million dollar idea. <laughs> I feel like asking you what does success look like for Look, you? all I've ever been chasing success-wise was to be in a small segment of the entertainment cube at Mkek <laughs> wearing my red Reebok pumps in front of some basketball superstars and a corporate colossus uh, with uh, a bunch of people who may or may not be listening uh, looking at a huge <laughs> slide of me looking tired and bemused. Uh, I think I've achieved that today, so I can I can reassess what success means to me now moving forward. Uh, well, I'm not really sure what to say after that, except I'm glad that we've helped you fulfil your vision of success. <laughs> um, it's been a really great conversation. Um, the whole idea of um, things change and we should just go with it, but invest the time and be okay with not you know, being perfect and also um, move beyond the money. I think, because not everyone can achieve those superstar salaries, Todd. Mm. (laughs) That was not a dig at you, Chris. Thanks, All right, thank you, everyone. Thanks for joining us on another episode of The Leadership of Fools. Thanks.